0: It's Angela Blair and welcome to All Strings Attached. I cannot believe I am saying this right now, but this is our final episode of our first season. And I gotta say, what an incredible and enlightening journey this has truly been. For those of you who have been with us from the start, you know that we have covered a very wide range of issues related to dating and relationships. We've gone over things like the chemical differences between men and women, the different stages of love, and talking to people about what it's like to tell Bachelor Nation that you're waiting for marriage on live television. Side note, if you are just joining us now, I really encourage you to dig into our archives for some killer conversations. But right now, we have quite the guest who I am so excited about to cap off this season. This conversation will really encapsulate the driving force behind this entire first season. The idea that basing our single and dating life or our relationships or our marriage in the rock solid foundation of faith can be hard but it also comes with amazing benefits and rewards if you choose to do so. My guest today lives that idea. Chelsea Smith wears a lot of hats. Along with her husband, Judah, she is the lead pastor of Church Home, which is truly revolutionizing the way we go to church. She and Judah also host a podcast that offers frank conversations about marriage, sex, and faith. They've had guests on like Justin and Haley Bieber on Why Marriage, Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho, and even to each other about navigating parenting and family life today. As you'll hear, Chelsea was really willing to go there with me just to talk about the highs and lows of her 22 years of marriage and give us all some wisdom for life and love and how to strengthen our faith. I cannot think of a better way to close out this season and think ahead to the future. Here's my conversation with Chelsea Smith. Chelsea Smith and her husband, Judah, lead Church Home, a vibrant community with multiple locations and a worldwide app. A gifted pastor and speaker Chelsea is passionate about the message of Jesus. Her ministry is noted for down-to-earth wisdom, authenticity, and strong faith. Chelsea and Judah also have three children, Zion, Elliot, and Grace. She is also host of a new podcast show called In Good Faith, where she and Judah co-host and talk about all things life, love, and faith. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to All Strings Attached.
1: I'm so glad to be here and I'm so grateful for everything that you're doing and really the message that you have and the heart that you have is really incredible. So glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, I am so excited for our conversation today. I just
0: feel like I connect with you so much on your heart for marriage and your heart for family. I'm just really excited to dig deep and have a real talk about a lot of different things so your newest venture is church home for those who may not know what that is it's pretty impressive the forward thinking that you guys have going into this what is church home
1: so um church home is actually the church that was started by my husband's parents in 1992 which makes all of us feel really old and then we took that over from his parents in 2009 and it was the city church at the time and then eventually God started speaking to us and we felt like church was being too limited by buildings. We believe God told us to fulfill the great commission which is to tell the good news about Jesus to every person who lives and invite them into communities where they can learn to follow Jesus. And the reality is is if every church building was filled on every Sunday morning four or five times over, there aren't enough churches to actually fulfill what we believe God has put us on this planet to do. And so we thought we just need, there needs to be a better model. There needs to be a better way for a lot of reasons. And so church home, really God began speaking to us that church should be like a home and church can be in a home. And so church doesn't need to be stuck to buildings, but it can be in people's homes. So using technology to deliver church, to build face-to-face communities is what we are endeavoring to do. And it's been a, it's been a very interesting process, you know, highs and lows and everything in between, but we're really passionate about building communities that are real and genuine and authentic and that speak the language of the next generation. We have three teenagers and it's so insane to me how much of their world is digital. Hard for me to totally fathom is somebody in my mid-40s. But we want to build a church that will also speak their language. So that is church home and we love it. We're passionate about it. Everything else that we do is fun, but that is other than our marriage and our family, that's yeah. the core of who that's
0: we are. Amazing. I'm sure it was an interesting time to have that sort of model that looks at church outside of four walls during COVID. Has it just skyrocketed the way that you guys have been able to reach people
1: that we've all kind of been stuck inside for the last year? Yeah, there's been such a shift now. I think 98% of our attendance is digital compared to the people who are still meeting in buildings. So yeah. What's interesting, and I've had a lot of different conversations
0: No, I have a huge heart for the next generation, especially young girls. I also noticed, though, when I go into schools, I remember one time I was just, I just gave this talk at a high school about the beauty of waiting for marriage. And like this kid was like, loser, literally yelled at me. And I was like, whatever. But when you look at the studies or you talk to younger people, they're kind of like, oh, religion, oh, church. It's kind of this tainted view of things. And the research shows that religion, quote unquote, if you will, is declining with the younger generations. Have you seen that as well? And how do you think we as the church and believers should approach that?
1: Yeah, I think what's so interesting um, is we've looked at stats and preparing and studying to do what we're doing is actually shows that Christianity, and this is worldwide, not just America, but that Christianity is increasing that people around the world are hungry for Jesus. And I mean, I feel like when you see Jesus for who he really is, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, he's almost irresistible, that the Bible says God put eternity in our hearts. And so there's something inside of us that is looking and longing for Jesus. And I feel like humanity is still coming home to their savior, Jesus. But the stats also show that while Christianity is increasing, that church attendance is decreasing. And that's where we see this gap between, okay, people are wanting to know Jesus, but the institution that has been and was, isn't filling this need anymore. And so what can we do to continue to close that gap? And I love your story. First of all, you're gorgeous. I can't imagine any teenage boy in his right mind yelling out loser when you're talking about sex. (laughs) We tell our kids all the time, being a teenager is hard right now. It's just hard. And any teenagers who are still standing, who are still walking, who are still Wanting to do the right thing to us are heroes because it is just not an easy thing. Yeah. Side
0: note, that kid that yelled loser at the end of my talk, all the macho football players, you know, at the beginning were like, oh, what a loser. And then at the end they were lined up and they were like, thank you so much for saying that. We really appreciate you coming here and sharing your story. That was cool though, for a 14 year
1: old boy to walk up to me and say, ma'am, I'm the one that yelled loser. Sorry. I take it back. Truth is so powerful, but sometimes people don't know the truth because they've never heard it. I remember back when we were youth pastors back in the day, Judah had a group of football players from the University of Washington. They would all come over to our house and I can't cook, but this is the one time a week when I would cook and cook the most amount of food I could imagine to feed <laughs> these football players. And so many of them just told us, we never knew a marriage like yours actually existed in the world. We thought that was just a fairy tale. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, if we're sitting around making judgments against the world or the way people are thinking or teenagers, but without actually giving the truth and showing what beauty, a godly life really looks like. And so it's really amazing that you did that. And the truth that you presented, yeah. turn that kid around. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank you cancel culture just seems like it's higher than
0: ever. How does that impact you with your ministry and the content that you put
1: out? Not only you, but you and your husband, your church. It's been a very interesting journey for us with cancel culture. And in light of learning to trying to bring church into a digital arena, feeling like the digital place, the digital world doesn't always feel safe. Whereas we look back to churches that were in a building we would have you know, our Sunday morning services and then our Wednesday night Bible studies and how there were these different rooms that had different levels of safety to them almost. You would know that the people who were in the room were for you on one level or another, or at least curious or sensitive. But now putting everything out into this digital world can feel a little bit insecure and can feel a little scary. I've had two things that have really helped me, one practical and one spiritual, The spiritual thing that helped me was I was reading actually the first of the year. My book I was reading this year on January 1st was 2 Timothy, just because it seemed appropriate for a lot of the things that we were doing. And I never realized this before that in 2 Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy from prison. And Paul says, you know, don't be ashamed of my chains. And you know, don't be ashamed of the things that have happened to me. But it was in that context that he said, don't have a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And I realized that I think what Paul was saying to Timothy was, Hey, you've seen these horrible things happen to me. You've seen me get beat up. You're seeing me in prison and in destitution, but don't let what you see happen to me affect what you do in your ministry. you be strong in the grace of God. That's in you. Basically you keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. And I love that courage because I, I don't know, there's probably some people out there online that don't like us and have said some mean things about us, but nothing too nasty. But we have, if I'm being really honest, gathered fear because of things that have happened to other people and timothy was yeah. tempted to gather fear because of what had happened to paul his apostle and i just have started out 2022 realizing i'm not going to gather fear based on what has happened to other people i'm going to be strong in the grace that's in me and do what we feel wow. like god has called us to do and say what he's called us to say So that's the spiritual tool that's helped me. The practical tool that is helping me as we're looking at 2022 is realizing that we need to create unique, safe digital spaces that aren't necessarily open to everybody, that we can talk about things that we wouldn't talk about in front of the general public, have family time and family conversations. And so trying to be more intentional with that with Zoom leaders calls also this sounds like such a plug and it kind of is, but it's also just something I'm excited about. We're involved with a platform named called Faithful that is really committed to creating safe digital spaces for Christian leaders and communicators. And so for me, using that platform to start a mentorship group for women, for Christian women who are in leadership. And realizing it is, there are some barriers to entry and one is a, you know, name your price fee that's nominal, but that helps create that safe space and functioning out of faith in those areas instead of fear, because it can be so much fear. I mean, we've talked to people, I'm sure you've had the same experience, who agonize for hours over a single post wondering if it's going to be right or if it's going to be misconstrued or misinterpreted. Do you read the comments ever? Or are you like, no, I'm not going to read all these people and people. write. rarely read comments. Judah and I have never read press about us for good or bad or the other. We just decided yeah. why, and it's not worth it. Okay. I did one time. Uh, Jude and I <laughs> You're like, with- okay, wait, one time. Yeah, wait, one time. One time <laughs> I did. We posted a picture of ourselves on Halloween where we dressed up as a priest and a nun, which I understand would oh, be gosh. It yeah. was
0: so funny.
1: So, but people really got after that. But the reason I read those comments is because some of our friends like defended us and went after it made really funny comments in return. So I will admit I did read those, but those were the only ones because if people are going to be mad about Halloween, it's just going to yeah. be different life and perspective. Yeah.
0: That's just a little much. That was
1: yeah. the greatest Halloween
0: costume. <laughs> So, aside from ministry, which I'm sure keeps you so busy, you and Judah have also launched a podcast show called In Good Faith. I absolutely love it. You guys are such an awesome couple together, co hosting. And the show states you take a candid approach and will address everything from anxiety, sex, to the frank truths about marriage. That is extremely interesting because I know you guys
1: have been married for a while. Like how long have you guys been married? We have been married 22 years, which makes me feel so old, but wow. it's gone so fast. So. Yes. How did you guys meet? So this is, this is where it's bizarre. And now I realize it's every parent's dream judah's mom and my mom were actually friends when they were both pregnant with us at the same time this is you know back in the 70s before ultrasounds to figure out gender and they honestly joked about let's have a boy and a girl and see if they will get married we probably met for the first time at the church nursery i don't have any recollection meeting him and then our families were close in church together my family was in business his family was in ministry and made for a great friendship. So, so we went on family vacations together and probably when we were about 11 or 12, we have two older sisters who didn't want us hanging around with them. So they decided to ditch us so they could hang out. And he and I just hit it off is weird. Like the things I don't want my kids to know. We were literally down at 11 and liked each other and hit it off. And wrote little notes back and forth in junior high about how we liked each other. And he'd say, let's get married and have a boy and a girl. We still have those notes. Our kids love reading them, but then in high school, we disconnected. And then in college, we reconnected and dated for five months. And then we're engaged for five months and we're married and just have a a really solid friendship to our marriage, which for me is, is the greatest key to a marriage. So that's amazing.
0: One thing I appreciate about In Good Faith is you talk the realness. And I did listen to the episode with Justin Bieber and Haley. It was interesting because they talked about their journey forming as a couple. And I thought it was really powerful because the way that Hollywood portrays it is it like get married, la-di-da into the sunset, but there is something to be said about merging your life with someone else, right? So I know you've walked closely with Justin and Haley and many other couples. What would you say you've learned from those experiences walking so closely and and helping younger marriages today?
1: I say marriage is the most difficult, most rewarding thing that somebody will ever do with their life. That no matter what job you have, no matter what career you have or how much money you make, and even children are wonderful. But I think that marriage is, if you put in the work, it's the most rewarding thing. But even in that reward, it is the most difficult thing, even in the best of circumstances. And I know for Judah and I, we have a, one of our rules that we have about fighting. Cause we do, we're both pretty strong in our personalities. And so we fight a fair amount. It's just that the word divorce isn't an option that we don't even want to go to a place where we say that. And I feel like with so many young couples, marriage is hard, especially those first two or three years, like you said, when you're merging your life together and I don't think we realize how selfish we are or how independent we are or how much we like getting our own way until you're trying to literally collide your life with somebody else. And you like things one way and he likes things another way. And you can only do things one of those ways. It is not always an easy process. And so I think for young couples, not even having the option of the word divorce, not even having a mindset that if, well, if this just gets too hard, we can leave because I, I feel like if that would have been an option for so many couples, we just would have left. But just like any good workout, unless the workout's hard, you're not going to get results from it. Now, I'm not talking about the case of abuse in marriage or you know some cheating, but for the most part, relationships are just work. And if we have the option that we think we can leave, we might just end up leaving and then we end up on the next relationship and realize that wasn't any better. And yeah, maybe you changed one set of problems with another because you got a different personality set. But it's still just work and putting in the work and not having the option of leaving, but also making sure to stop and enjoy it. I love that you said that that About marriage, it is so great to have a partner to do life with and to stop and enjoy the rewards. Stop and have great sex. Stop and go on vacations together if you can, or do a staycation and enjoy those rewards and making sure that you're celebrating the reward for all of your work. I was making a joke with my girlfriend. I said, okay, now that
0: I'm married, one part of my brain can actually relax and I can just stress about other stuff now (laughs) because, you know, dating today, it is so hard. I think a lot of my listeners, majority are single. They're on that journey to get to marriage. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Being a woman that's been married and has an incredible family and marriage, what would you say to someone when they are on that journey? Like it's so easy to get caught up in are they fun or are they good looking, but really, after twenty plus years of being married, what's it really about? What <laughs> are the things that they should really make sure they have?
1: First of all, I so agree with you. Dating right now is hard. A few of my closest friends are single women, and I watch them date, and I am just so amazed at their courage to keep going and to keep putting themselves out there and to keep trying. And I have the utmost respect for anybody who's willing to continue to put themselves out there in dating. And yeah, if there's one thing that makes me mad about the current dating world that I feel like I can be an old person ranting against is what Instagram has done to our perspective of dating. It feels like so often we want to find a partner who's going to make us look good on Instagram. And I know nobody would ever say that outright, but somewhere a few levels down, that seems to be a driving motivation. The reality is, Jude and I've been married for 23 years, and while I still find him incredibly handsome, and I'm so glad I love looking at him and he's attractive to me and there's still that chemistry, as cheesy as it sounds, what I'm love, that I'm married to every day is a man of character, and that he is kind and we laugh together and we have a good time, and when life gets hard, he turns to Jesus. Those really are the things that make a marriage. One of my friends who's single, one of her closest friends got married and probably it was one of those relationships where, you know, none of the friends really liked the guy, but she was just like, no, I'm just going to marry him anyway. Yeah. And then ended up in a really heartbreaking marriage situation. And what that did to my single friend now is she's realizing it's not worth it to just date anybody, to just marry Anybody, she's, she's, I I love her for this and her strength. She realizes I'd rather be single than marry somebody who would make me miserable. And yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because no matter how handsome somebody is, or no matter how wealthy somebody is, you are married to their character every day, day in, day out. And especially when it comes to raising children together, if that's something that you want to do. Your kids don't care how much money he has or how handsome he is. Like, trust me, your kids will not think your their dad is cool, no matter how cool I think my husband's so cool. But is he is he loving? Is he kind? Does he give them time and attention? Does he have his priorities right? Those are the things that really matter and are lasting.
0: That's so powerful. It's true. Character is so important. We I think we all have that crazy aunt or grandma or whoever it is in our life. That always gives us dating advice. But the saying is true that my grandma used to say is like, things don't change once you get married. It can be tempting at times to think, oh, well, they won't do this anymore after we get married. And I'm not saying people can't change. They absolutely can. But you're right. The character and what's on the inside is so important to be at peace with. Like, I remember my wedding day, I had this peace that I could not even explain in words. Like, I just knew this was right. That's so beautiful. As we said, dating feels so tough. And I know one element of that is the hookup culture. The church world, I believe they had the best of intentions with movements like True Love Weights and the purity movement. Like I used to have a True Love Weights ring, but so many people have this negative stigma in their mind when it comes to that. And I can see reasons why, but what are your thoughts on what the church did right. And maybe where they could have done things a little bit differently.
1: Uh, man, when you said true love waits, cause how you and I are probably like 10 or 15 years different. So for me, when I was in high school, the movement was Josh Harris, you know, wrote this book uh, and I can't remember. It was along the lines of true love weight. It was basically right. don't have sex before free get married, live this pure life. But the premise of the book was if you do all of these things, you will have this amazing, incredible romanticized marriage. And what happened to Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, and he's come out and said this publicly, is he did all of those things, wrote this book, got married, ended up in a marriage, and it was still work and still had some, I don't know, I think every relationship has some bumps in the road in a sex life as far as one way or the other. And I think whether it was the Joshua Harris message or the true love wait's. I think there was a lie in that message. And I think that lie basically was, if you do everything right, you will get this fairy tale romance reality. And I just don't see that that is the way that Jesus works. Jesus promises that he will walk with us every step of the way, but he doesn't promise that everything is going to be good and wonderful and amazing. And so I understand some of the ridicule that the message around sex and Christianity has gotten. Because I do think it promised something at the end that's an empty promise. But what I do believe, obviously, Judah and I were also both virgins when we got married, which is like unicorn these days, that we didn't have all of this baggage to bring into our marriage. And so anything that we learned or experimented on or anything that was great or anything that was challenging, it was uniquely ours. And so there was a wholeness and a sacredness and an intimacy with that, that I realize not a lot of people have anymore, but there is a way that we can live our dating lives in a way that does respect that God made us to be that our designer, our creator, God really did design this incredible gift of sex to be within the context of marriage. So I think that's where the church got it wrong. Also, you know, a shame culture around sex in the church or even around I think married sex is holy sex. Whatever is, you know, the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. And so, but I think the church had like shame around different acts of marriage. Growing up, definitely, and this is in the 70s and the 80s, my parents would tell me that, the church teaching was that oral sex was wrong. And I'm like, there's no biblical precedence to that. There's no reason. Now, maybe for that particular couple, it was, maybe they didn't have a piece about it, but don't make that a scriptural truth. That's actually not in the Bible. And so whatever you could fill that in on, I just think the church put a lot of shame around sex, which doesn't need to be. I think married sex is the greatest sex. And we've talked to people who've had all sorts of sex and they would all say the same thing.
0: For someone that is maybe listening and they are in a dating relationship, I know I also have a lot of girl listeners and you can feel this pressure like, oh gosh, what if you won't like me anymore, this or that? What do you think are some good boundaries
1: or helpful things to think about? There's a verse that is, I think, in Micah, but then said again in Hebrews, then it was a prophecy in Micah and then reiterated in Hebrews. And the prophecy said this, there's coming a time in a new covenant where you won't need a teacher saying, this is the way to go, but I will write my law on your heart. And in Hebrews, it goes on to say, no longer will you need somebody dragging you by the hand, but I will write the law in your heart. And to me, that says that in our new covenant relationship with Jesus, that God actually works on our desires. And so to somebody listening, who's in a dating relationship or feeling like, Hey, everybody says hooking up is the way to go or you have to try things before to know if you're even sexually compatible before you end up in a committed relationship. And so many things that we hear today, I would just say, have an honest conversation with God and say, Hey God, will you change my desires so that my desires line up with what you know is best for my life? And if you have a perception of God, that he loves you and he cares about you and he absolutely wants what is best for you. And if you have enough faith that he can actually come in and change your desires That I would say that's the place to start is having, I know it sounds crazy, but bringing God into a conversation and into a prayer about your dating life, your sex life, your expectations, and letting him work in you and just being open-handed with it and saying, God, whatever you want to do, will you do something in me?
0: Well, I definitely am so thankful for this amazing conversation. And if someone's in a rough place with their purpose, I would love if you could just share any scripture that you think could be good to go to for purpose. Mm,
1: I love that purpose should be such at the root of who we are. And actually, I'll just tell you simply, I was what I was reading this morning as I started in Matthew was at the place in Matthew where Jesus called the disciples and what he, he called Peter and James and John and he said follow me to both of them and i think if we are lacking in purpose if we're struggling if we don't know what am i doing what's this season about i think i feel like especially where we find ourselves in 2022 so many of us aren't where we thought we would be or aren't where we thought we're supposed to be whatever whoever is making up that supposed to language and i would just say the key to purpose is actually staying close and connected to jesus on a daily basis you know jesus He didn't tell Peter, he didn't tell James and John, you're going to change the world. He didn't tell them you're going to be teachers. You're going to start a new church. He didn't tell them all these huge dreams for their lives. He simply said, follow me. And that life of following Jesus, I believe and Judah says this often is the safest place that we can be. It can be the scariest because he can lead us to unknown places. And following Jesus is simply what you were talking about, that daily posture of just inviting Jesus into our lives. And do we know him? Do we talk to him? Do we care about him? Are we inviting him into into our dating life, into our eating life, into our exercising life, into our job life? And I really believe that is the core that no matter what season you're in, we will have purpose and find fulfillment And so I think if we just keep our connection there, that's a great place to start and have peace. And you are doing such a beautiful job of bringing people to their purpose of bringing truth out there. We so love what you're doing and just so see more people like you. Thank you. Thank you so much
0: for being on. I am just so honored again, everyone check out In Good Faith. How can they follow you guys and find the show?
1: in good faith is wherever podcasts are just look up in good faith or judah and chelsea smith and chelsea smith judah smith on social media and churchhome.org with one h it's all one word squished together
0: wow i love talking to chelsea her story is so inspirational i mean Her love story is amazing. It's like a Disney movie. She met her husband at a young age. Their moms were friends and they talked and joked about what if they got married. Now she's grown up, married to Judah, and they are just crushing it for the kingdom and for God around the world. I mean, if that is not divine intervention, I don't know what is. One thing I found really fascinating about this conversation is her perspective on where she thinks the church and purity culture went wrong with the message around waiting for marriage. I do agree, it's interesting when you look back because they did have the best of intentions, but it did give this false promise that if you do X, Y, Z steps, then that means your relationship will just be perfect. Well, reality check, a relationship is with two imperfect people So, of course, there's things that you're still going to have to work through even though you did hold out for such a sacred thing. As she said, waiting to bring sex into a relationship until marriage does not mean your relationship will be perfect by any means. But what it does do is it builds an incredible foundation of trust and honor that does impact the trajectory of your relationship on the good and the bad days. And I think as you look back through our season, you not only see the emotional benefits, but you see the hormonal changes and all of the science that truly backs up the bond and the long lasting committed relationship, how that greatly benefits us as a human race and how God designed us. If you've been along with us for this whole ride, you know that we do not shy away from empowering you to live out values that could be labeled as traditional, especially in our culture, but throughout this entire season, I wanted to focus not just on the downside of hookup culture or on the work it takes to stay on the right path, but also on the wonders of just living your life with God at the forefront of everything you do. This might not be a popular thing to say nowadays, but I do believe boundaries are actually extremely empowering and liberating. I guarantee you, walking in faith and applying boundaries in your life, it helps give guardrails, keeping you on a path that leads to much higher highs than any hookup culture ever could. We have heard from so many of our guests who try to live that every day, And I am so thankful for everyone that has come on and for all of you for taking time to listen and just apply things and learn things and have an open mind when it comes to this topic. That is exactly what I wanna leave you with as we close out the season. But get ready, drum roll please, for season two. I am so excited. We are coming to life in an even bigger way. Making All Strings Attached a video podcast show. So, you can hear the wisdom and see it too. So, give us a follow on social, on Instagram, TikTok, All Strings Pod. Please share our episodes, spread the word, and just stay tuned for new guests and episodes that empower healthy relationships and the journey of love today. All Strings Attached is hosted by me, Angela Blair. The show is executive produced by Soul Shop, and our production coordinator is Spencer Tropper. Special thanks to the folks at City Reach Church and Daniel Rudnai for this awesome recording studio. Follow me at official a blair on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and follow the show at All Strings Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok too. Sign up for my newsletter at allstringsattachedpod.com. And if you go all out and send me an email at Angela at allstringspod.com, I may even respond. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts like every other show tells you to do. Until next time, I'm Angela Blair.